everybody, and welcome to Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I am one of the grumpy guys, Dan Scott. Good to have you with us. This is episode six of GOB, and we've got a good one for you today. Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman will be our guest. Cobb Oxford is here. Dory Kidd-Smith is here. Once again, Tom Van Hoy could not figure out the uh, technology to enable him to be here, but we expect him to be back on the next episode. But we've got a, uh, a really good interview with Marty Brenneman that spans about 40 minutes, and then Dory and Cobb and I do uh, a little riffing after that for about another 25. So we'll be with you for a little over an hour uh, here on this edition of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. And just want to encourage you, uh, to do a couple of things. Number one, uh, we we hope that you're enjoying these. We want to hear your comments. Uh, we uh, are hosted uh, at Podbeam, so when you uh, go there, you can leave us comments and let us know what you think, uh, whether you're getting it on Apple, uh, iTunes, or you're getting it on Google Play or Spotify or iHeart, wherever it is, there's always a place for you to leave us comments. And most importantly, we want you to subscribe rate, and then share. We need to grow this thing. I can tell you that the last episode, episode five with Jason Whitlock, so far has been the most listened to episode in the young life of Grumpy Old Broadcasters, and we just need to continue to grow, and we're relying on you to help us do that. So please, I I can tell that, that it's getting a little more popular, so as you get into this and you start listening and continue to listen, please share it with your friends, share it on your social media, help us grow this new podcast. And, you know, we're trying to get better and we'll be tweaking things as we go along. But the idea is just to get together and have a little bit of what we call old school fun. You know, you've got some older media guys here who've been around and we're navigating this new medium podcasting and uh, well we just want to have some fun with it and we want to grow it and we hope that you'll help us do that we are brought to you by our friends at Todaro Pizza here in the upstate of South Carolina if you're from this area then you know how great Todaro Pizza is they are located the original location for the upstate anyway is on Sloan Street in downtown Clemson and the newest location, 116 North Markley Street in Greenville, South Carolina, which is just a couple of blocks from uh, Floor Field, the home of the Greenville Drive minor league baseball team. That location is still open and doing things like delivery and pickup during this coronavirus pandemic. So you can still get that great Todaro pizza from the North Markley Street location in downtown Greenville And they're also uh, allowing you to take home pizza kits and make the pizza yourself. So find out more at todaropizza.com, todaropizza.com. That's the website. John, Chris, and all of the folks there would really appreciate your business anytime, but especially during this time. And then when all this is over, I know you'll want to head back into uh, both facilities. And if you're not from here and you're coming into Greenville for business or sports or whatever it is, Put Todaro Pizza on your must-eat list when you get here, okay? And tell them Dan Scott sent you. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, Marty Brenneman is our guest today on this edition of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters, Episode 6. And here's what that conversation sounded like. 
And I will also record here. All right. This is episode six of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. I'm Dan Scott. Cobb Oxford is with us again. And we're very, very happy to welcome in a a guy that I've had the pleasure of uh, interviewing a number of times over the years on the old radio show. And a guy who actually inspired me to get into the world of broadcasting. So I guess I can either thank him or blame him, one of the two. <laughs> but the Hall of Fame broadcaster just retired from the Cincinnati Reds after 47 years, Marty Brenneman. Marty, how are you? I'm good, Dan. How are you, pal? Uh, I'm doing wonderful. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's good to see you. This whole Zoom thing has opened up a whole different world for us, I guess. Uh, were you familiar with this kind of technology at all? No, this is the second time I've done this, and I was, I'm amazed by it. I mean, all you know, as you well know, all you do is punch in a, a, a handful of numbers, and all of a sudden it magically pops up on the screen, and you're off and running. I, uh, I, I think it's, a, it's a, for, for our business, especially doing what you're doing right now, it's a great, great concept, and it's so easy to convey to people like me, and I'm not the most electronically inclined guy to begin with, but to, if I can do this, and I'm sure most other, anybody else can do it, I just think it's a great thing. Yeah, it, it has become, I, I think, the the single tool that has kept, for, well, for instance, athletic departments across the country uh, alive and in touch, whether you're talking about recruiting or staff meetings or whatever. And as a lot of the stock market has has uh, suffered during this pandemic, I think Zoom is probably a company who's seen their stock go up. So, Well, it. I would think so. I, I don't think there's any question. I, and my wife was telling me uh, before we went on the air that uh, the uh, sanitizing business, sanitizers, went up 343%. Uh, the sale of sanitizers, hand sanitizers, and the such, 343% in the month of March. So, you know, things are really gloom in most other areas, but uh, there are certain areas that are that are making money big time because they have products that obviously we all need right now. You know, I'm trying very hard not to hold you responsible, but I do have to say, you know, you retired and the whole world goes to hell in a handbasket. Well, I was, I was telling you, what, what's his name? Kyle. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. I was telling him earlier. Yeah. The people back here have been saying, well, you know, uh, we knew Marty Brenneman had a little bit of juice, but we didn't realize he had so much that uh, he could retire and they quit playing baseball. But um, And the other funny thing was, you know, the Reds spent so much money in the offseason bringing in the people they brought in, Moustakas and, and uh, Nick Castellanos and, and uh, Wade Miley and people like that. And some guy in Denver started it, he, and he tweeted one day, he said, you know, he said the Reds have been more active than any team in baseball this offseason. They spent more money. They paid Marty Brenneman that kind of money. <laughs> they go out and sign these people. It was really funny. And and you did not confirm or deny that, I'm sure, right? No, I made it very, very clear that they reached out. They went over and above and beyond the call of duty in order to come up with the kind of money it took to bring those guys on board. Marty, I'm sure you've been asked this uh, dozens of times since uh, you announced your retirement prior to the 2019 season. But but why then? Why Why was last year your last year? 
Well, actually, Dan, the year before was going to be my last year. I was going to, and I was not, I made a mistake in talking about it to people. And uh, I was simply going to do the last game of the season and then pick up the telephone at nine o'clock on that Monday morning after the final game and call Phil Cast- uh, uh, Castellini, who's the COO of the club, and say, hey, guess what? I'm done with this. And he found out about it and he called me in and was not happy at all and said he felt like I owed it to the fans and owed it to the club uh, to come out, come back another year. And and it kind of worked out because it was 150th anniversary of professional baseball last season. And, of course, pro ball, all, all of that started right here in Cincinnati. So I agreed to come back. But I've given it a lot of thought um, uh, and and – when I made the announcement January a year ago, uh, I was comfortable with it. And there has not been a time since that announcement was made that I felt like I'd made a mistake and I needed to rethink it and redo it again. You had always said in, in the last few years when you were asked about retiring that you wanted no part of a uh, a grand finale, a, a tour where everybody said goodbye to Marty Brenneman. And yet that's exactly what happened. Looking back at it now, are you glad that that took place? Are you glad you got to experience that? Yeah, I guess. I mean, uh, you know, I, I was honored that they wanted to do it. I was still very uncomfortable with all of it uh, because I genuinely did not feel that they owed me a thing. Uh, the fact that I've been here for 46 years and had been embraced by the fans, uh, when I came back in 1974, so I didn't need any of that. Uh, but looking back on it, reflecting on it, uh, there were some very memorable moments uh, that occurred last season. And, of course, the club, uh, which they always do. I mean, Phil Castellini is a, gen- a marketing genius when he puts his mind to a certain something that he's going to make it better than anybody could possibly make it. And he and along with uh, – uh, our, the lady in our organization, Karen Forgus, and uh, our marketing director, Zach Bonkowski, they just did a tremendous job in putting together the final three games of my career, uh, September 24, 25, and 26, last year. So um, reflecting upon it, I, I, I did enjoy it, um, but I, I, I'd be less than honest if I didn't tell you that uh, when it was all over and done with on September the 26th last year, I was I was glad of that. We were talking while Dan was running late about the uh, one of the plans that's been floated to get the season started is everybody playing in Arizona, players sitting in the stands, players sequestered in hotel rooms. Um, I guess people are trying to figure out how to get the season started. Nobody really knows now, but you said – no, you, you don't really like that plan. I think it's a terrible idea. I don't think it's been – and I, you know what? I understand we're dealing – when I say we, I'm not talking about just baseball. I'm talking about everything. We're, we're traveling down roads that we have never traveled down before. And God forbid it ever happens again in this country. And so everybody in whatever their level of interest is – you're, you're feeling your way along. And, and uh, this, this proposal that uh, came out of the uh, major league office a few days ago, uh, there, there are too many things that have to be worked out to the satisfaction of a lot of people in order to make this thing happen. It could be the biggest public relations disaster in the history of baseball. 
if they pursue it. Um, uh, you got too many other people involved. The, the, somebody said to me, what about the guy that loads the Coca-Cola machine, the vending machine in the hotel? Well, you don't know where the, these people have been. Um, uh, so, and I think that if you started the season playing before empty ballparks out in, in Arizona uh, and one player or two players comes down with this virus, then what are you going to do? Uh, are you, or you you've got to quarantine those people and then you're going to run other people in there to replace them. And if it becomes widespread, now the season that you started, you've got to shut it down. And I just don't think it's a good idea. The other thing, they talked about having medical people there, uh, and this was operating on an assumption that they would have a test that would uh, provide the results within five minutes. That, that's neither here nor there. But you have to assume that that's, that's on the horizon. Well, why should the baseball players be the elite and have access to that? And you've got people in Anderson, South Carolina, or Clemson, or Cincinnati, Ohio, that don't have the same advantage. There are too many things that go into this thing. You're taking players away from their families, and you are putting them in hotels. They're, they're sequestered there all day. And then they get on the bus and they go to the ballpark and they play whoever they're playing. Then they get on the bus, they come back to the hotel. They have to stay in the hotel all day the next day. It, it just doesn't seem like it's going to work. I, there are too many questions that if they're answered wrong, it could be an a, absolute catastrophe. Marty Brenneman with us on this uh, sixth episode of uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters. And, and we did not name that uh, podcast uh, with you in mind, by the way. Cobb and I are grumpy enough in our own right. Um, I got you. A, a, um, a thought occurred to me uh, as Major League Baseball's uh, front office, led by Commissioner Rob Manfred and the Players Association, led by Tony Clark, have actually had some productive conversations and, and, and have been able to work through some things in this and come to an agreement on some things. Prior to this, there was a lot of acrimony brewing between the two sides. And I remember an interview you and I did a number of years ago uh, where we were talking about baseball's labor relations and, and, and your opinion at the time was that you didn't think we would ever see another strike in our lifetime. You talk to some people inside the game and, and some of the national writers who who um, cover the game, they seem to be the opinion that that's exactly where we might have been headed and may still be headed um, when this current collective bargaining agreement uh, expires because there's been a lot of acrimony seemingly brewing between the two sides again. Do you think this has smoothed that over any at all, or do you even think that they were headed to another strike? No, I, I think this possibly, uh, and you hate to take a pandemic that's killed people and uh, hundreds of thousands of people have come down with it, and you'd hate to use that as a means of saying, well, maybe uh, both sides realize on the heels of something like this, then another year or so later, now you've got to strike um, and put the two things together that could be, quite honestly, the worst-case scenario could be the undoing of Major League Baseball for all time. So I think uh, this possibly could help, but you never know. You really never know uh, how that whole thing is going to pan out once we get over this mountain and, and get back to doing things that we have taken for granted all our lives, one of which is uh, the ability to go see a baseball game or turn on a radio or turn on a television. 
um, we'll see how it works out. And there is, there's no question there's been a lot of acrimony uh, between the, the, the uh, owners of baseball and, and Tony Clark and his union. And only time will tell uh, that maybe the wiser heads will prevail and they'll realize we can't afford to have a strike. Marty, when we get back to playing, how does Major League Baseball work through the Astros thing? I mean, it was really uh, – you talk about public relations disasters. I mean, that that has to be it, – it, I think it's the second worst thing that's ever happened in Major League Baseball, second only to the Black Sox scandal of 1919. Worse than the steroids, worse than Pete Rose. This this is the worst thing next to the the, the White Sox and, and the Reds back in 1919. Um the thing that bothers me is, and I read this the other day, that uh, Jeffrey Lunau, who was a general manager who was fired by Jim Crane, the owner, and uh, and uh, A.J. Hinch, he was fired, mm-hmm. that this is going to count as their year. If there's no baseball played, uh, or if there is baseball played, this is going to count as their year, and that they'll be able to come back next year. Um, if there is no baseball played in 2020, and, and I think that's a very real possibility. And you, from my money, they got to go next year too. Um, uh, nothing has been resolved as far as the Red Sox are concerned. And and Rob Manfred can say all he wants to that while well, we were all set to make an announcement about what penalties we were going to impose on the Red Sox when uh, this coronavirus thing set in, but that would be a lie if he said that because the week before. On a Friday, the week before all hell broke loose, which was the following Thursday, the 19th of March, he, he announced prior to that Friday, we'll have an announcement on Friday about what penalties we're going to impose on the Red Sox. Those announcements never came. And that was a, almost a full week before this announcement by Manfred on that Thursday that the season would move, be moved back into April, and we all know what's happened since then. Um, uh, for my money... Uh, you know, Alex Cora was the architect of that thing when he was bench coach under A.J. Hinch in Houston. And then he goes to the Red Sox and he was the architect of what the Red Sox have been called guilty of. Uh, A.J. Uh, 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 Alex Cora should not be allowed to work in baseball for the rest of his life. If you're going to keep Pete out of the Hall of Fame, despite the feeling of, of, of the overwhelming feeling of the public throughout baseball, the baseball fans, then you can't let Alex Cora ever work again in the game of baseball. Um, it, it's just the, and the arrogance of the Houston players when they had the news conference outside their training camp and Jim Crane, who professes he never knew anything about it. And if you believe that, as far as I'm concerned, I got a bridge I want to say. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting when this whole thing dies down and we see how this situation pan, plans, uh, pans out. You, you uh, obviously have never been shy uh, about your opinions and your thoughts on subjects or people. You've had your different thoughts on commissioners over the years. What, what's your opinion of Rob Manfred as baseball's commissioner? I'm not a big fan. Um, I think he handled the Houston thing terribly. I mean, when he makes the comments of the World Series trophy, it was nothing but a scrap of metal. Uh, and, and then had to come back and apologize for saying that. He's a very bright man. Intellectually, he's a very bright man. I just wonder sometimes if he's qualified to handle this position. And I realize that he's going through now, again, going back to the fact that no commissioner's ever had to deal with anything like this before. And 
And hopefully in the rest of our lifetime and our kids' lifetime and our grandkids' lifetime, it'll never have to be dealt with again. But I, I just don't think that in, in, in many areas he's, he's done a very good job of, of, uh, of running the position of the commissioner of this game. Um, and I've got to believe that there are a lot of owners in baseball that are not happy with the job he's done. Marty Brenneman with us on uh, Grumpy Old Broadcasters. This is episode six. Um, an anniversary just passed this week, and it coincided with your first Major League Baseball broadcast in April of 1974. Your first game, you got the opportunity to, from the Reds radio booth, call Hank Aaron's 714th home run off Jack Billingham. And, of course, you know everybody obviously focuses more on, on 715, the record breaker. But, but that, that was a special moment. Here you are, a rookie, and you basically had that one fall into your lap on day one. Well, you know, I, when it, going into that game, I, I realized, just like everybody else did, that Aaron had played, and that was the controversy in and of itself, uh, mm-hmm. had a chance to break, uh, tie the record and possibly break the record. And, and uh, the, the Braves would just as soon have not played Henry at all and then go back to Fulton County Stadium against the Dodgers and, and let him do it in front of the home fan. As we all know, he, he broke the record when he homered off Al Downing on that Friday night um, in Atlanta. But um, I, uh, I really didn't give a whole lot. You know, people have said to me, did you plan what you were going to say? Uh, I never did that. Uh, you know, we had certain things that occurred over the 46 years that I worked where you knew something like Pete's record-breaking hit. We knew it was going to happen. It was just a question of when it was going to happen. Um, and a lot of guys, and I know some, I'm not naming guys, but I know guys that plan what they're going to say if they had the call to hopefully make it very clever and make it something that people will love 150,000 years from now. I was not good enough to do that because I felt like it would sound contrived. So I didn't wait, spend any time thinking about what I was going to say if Aaron uh, tied the record on that opening day. And as it turned out, as you said, four batters in, he homered off Billingham with two on uh, to tie the record. Uh, it, it was a, it was obviously a thrill. And the funny thing was when we finally went to the commercial break, my partner uh, that day on day one and my partner for 31 years, Joe Nuxall said, I can't believe it. He said, what the hell do you do for an encore? I said, I have no idea. I don't know. I have no idea, but I, you know, of all the guys that have broken into our jobs at the big league level, I don't know if anybody's ever broken in to have a call on a historic event like I did. And, and, the, and on, what really made it cool was over the course of a lot of years, Jack Billingham and his wife, Jolene, have become dear friends of mine and my wife, Amanda's. And, and uh, periodically the subject will come up and I'll stick the old needle into Jack and, uh, and, and, and let him know that I've not forgotten that he fell behind to Henry three and one and then tried to sneak a fastball by him. You know, that, that doesn't happen. And so, uh, we've had some fun with that, but it was certainly, it was certainly something I look back upon today and, and, uh, I don't remember a lot of things, uh, but I remember that day as vividly as probably any day I broadcast Reds baseball. Well, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't it Billingham who also cured you earlier in, in early yeah. in your Reds career of using the term "we"? That that famous French word meaning yes. <laughs> I uh, ironically they had uh, they had beaten the Atlanta Braves the night before. This was in seventy six, seventy five, I guess. They had beaten the Braves the night before, like twenty five to seven. 
down at the Fulton County Stadium and Jack pitched uh, and, and got the win. And I made the comment to him next day. I said, boy, that's a great win we had last night. And he said, we. He said, how many hits did you get? How many people did you get out? And that was the defining moment of my career because I realized that day that um, for me to try and impose by using the word we, the assumption on the part of the fan that I was a part of what I looked at down the field was wrong. Uh, I'm not a part of that, never was a part of that. That's a, that's a fraternity in and unto itself. And so I never use that word again. And um, with not using it, I, I obviously became much more objective in my calls. And, and that led to the, people assuming at times that I was being very critical of their little darlings, which I tried not to do, but if I had to, I did. Um, so what Billingham said to me was, was uh, a high water mark in my career is the way things turned out from that day forward. You know, and it's interesting because I look at it and you may not, but I look at it as there's a difference between broadcasting professional sports and, and college sports and maybe it, maybe it's just my nature. If 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 I'm doing something professionally, like I do the Greenville Drive now, I never use the word we, but I will use the word we at Furman University. Maybe because I'm employed there, maybe because of the attachment. I don't know. But I, I think back to some of the the great college broadcasters of all time, specifically at schools, not necessarily the national guys, but some some of the the uh, the legends of the of the game. And and that word we was a lot uh, was a big part of their vocabulary do you think there's a distinction between professional sports and college sports or shouldn't there be no i don't think there is i mean i a play-by-play is a play-by-play whether it's a college baseball game or it's a professional major league baseball game and as far as that's concerned um and i don't disagree with you dan that there are a lot of college guys that have made great names for themselves some of them became iconic college broadcasters that use that word that's fine. I, and I don't, I don't criticize anybody's style. Uh, if that's the way you want to play it, then God bless you. You go ahead and play it the way you want to. I just don't want people to get the feeling that I'm a part of that because I'm not. And so for me to say, we gives that impression. Um, I think when you use that term, you automatically take away to some extent, however large or small it might be your objectivity. Because Joe Smith in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, listening to the University of South Carolina or uh, a Clemson fan listening to one of their games, he's rooting for we. I, I, I read Twitter all the time, and I want so bad when I see some fans say, boy, we got a big game coming up on, on uh, Saturday afternoon, and I want to I go back and I want to type a response to him just like Billingham did to me. You know, how many touchdown passes did you throw last weekend? How many yards did you rush for? How many interceptions did you make? I, I just, I'm just not inclined to do it. I understand why people do it, uh, and, and if that's their deal, God bless them. I'm, I'm happy for them. Cobb, well, I was just going to mention Larry Munson instantly. Comes oh, I, I was the first one I was thinking of. Instantly comes to mind, but, but as through my career and you know, I was in newspapers and. In the old school broadcasters, I think, tend to, to take the, especially college broadcasters, tend to take the we and 
they're after us. And I mean, Munson would just set the scene. They, Georgia was always small and pitiful, and the opposition <laughs> always out to get us. You know, I mean, they're, they're, the crowd is standing and roaring against the dogs. You know, and I mean, it's just, yeah, it was great. I mean, as far as painting a picture, and, and you knew exactly where Munson stood, and uh, he uh, he was he was good at doing it. But yeah, it it irritates some people, and I can see where it irritates a, a professional guy who. Wants to, when we were in the newspaper business, we weren't we weren't cheerleaders, you know. But uh, some of the old guys, especially in the SEC, that's where they were. Um, they were they were pulling for their team, and you you knew the instant you turned that dial, who you were listening to, and what was going on. I mean, Munson was at his best when Georgia was getting hammered. I mean, he really he he was just he was so down and depressed. <laughs> Yeah. called passion exactly i mean he had a real but the thing, funny thing about munson was you know he tried to do basketball for a while and it just didn't it didn't go you know it didn't football it works for football it didn't work i don't think but no you know it, it works it works more for football and baseball than it does basketball because <laughs> basketball is too quick uh, and drop a hundred thousand wees into a baseball game, and you can do it in a football game. Uh, yeah, yeah. more painting, uh, yeah. Picture, more painting the picture in football and baseball. Yeah. Uh, On that note, can I interject, Mister Mister uh, Brenneman, Sir Brenneman? Yes, I wanted to say I, this is like I feel like I'm hijacking a call. I really don't belong on this. It's like royalty, and thank you for letting me, Dan Scott, be a part of this thank conversation. You. Just you know, just to be able to listen. But I wanted to interject real quickly and talk about um, what, you know, Marty Brenneman brings to the table. It's just unmatched. And I heard that Bernie Sanders was dropping out of the race or already has. So can we get Marty on the ticket? And I'm not even joking. I'm dead serious. <laughs> Is that possible, I got, Marty? I heard you had some free time since last September. I got too many skeletons in my closet. To run. Oh, that's... <laughs> Yeah, you know well, what? Speaking of that closet, let's open up that closet because we were just talking about the fact that, you know, calling uh, baseball and football would be sort of the ideal. And that's what you did for a year at Virginia Tech, right? Right before you started working for the Reds. Is that correct? Yeah, I, uh, I, I've been in Norfolk, living at Virginia Beach, doing the Virginia Squires and the old ABA. And I did AAA baseball. And I did William and Mary football in 72. And then uh, Virginia Tech came to me and said, would you do our football games? And, and I was thrilled to. Um, uh, and so I did their football games in 1973 and then got the job in Cincinnati uh, in January of 74 and then reported for duty on February 1st. So I did. But I, before that, I worked in Salisbury, North Carolina and did Catawba College games. And um, I'm still very, very close to that school now and have wonderful friends down in Salisbury and um, but I did, yeah, I did tech football a year in which they were one in 10. And I think Alabama, we did a game down in Tuscaloosa and Alabama beat them 77 to six. Um, and so I have vivid memories of not, not a real good year for the Virginia tech football program. Yeah. You know, Dor Dory, uh, is, is, uh, uh, obviously a little starstruck now, uh, Cobb has talked to you before, but I don't Andrew. know if, if either one of these would still be impressed if, if they knew that you're a Tar Heel. Because down in Clemson, those are fighting words. Well, you know what, though, Dan, and I've told you this before, 
when I did the ACC, uh, I worked for three years for Jefferson Pilot uh, doing ACC basketball in the mid-80s. And um, I fell in love so much with Clemson in the first year that I did the games. And I told the JP people, I said, look, you know, Mike Patrick and I split the schedule right down the middle. And I said, I, Mike, I don't think Mike had a great love for going to Clemson because there ain't no easy way to get there. Was it then? Is it now? <laughs> and I told him, I said, hey, I'll be happy to go. Anytime you want me to go to Clemson, I'm, I'm thrilled. Cliff Ellis was the coach then, and uh, we'd go down there. And uh, God bless Bob Bradley, and he and Tim Bure would take us out to the fish camp on Friday night, and we'd have dinner there, and then we'd do the game on Saturday. So I love Clemson. I love going down there. and. Um, uh, but I am a Carolina fan. I am a Carolina graduate. Uh, Don't forgive me. And I knew it. I, and I just had the bad feeling when they rolled into Chapel Hill a couple of three months ago that that streak was going to end. And it oh, did. come on now. I mean, what better year for it to happen? I watched it again the other night on replay, and I still didn't know it was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, a big, I'm a big Carolina fan. I, I, Coach Smith was a friend of mine, and Roy's been a friend of mine forever. And um, and their football program's coming now, boy. Mac Brown's Mac's doing a great job. He really is. Great. You know, after that win in Chapel Hill, the first person that Tim Bray called was Billy Packer. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said he every time he went to Chapel Hill, he'd call Billy and say, you want to ride? The streak's going to end. No, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, Billy said Bill, Billy said he never thought he would see it in his I lifetime. Have. So, hey, and Marty, I know we told you we'd keep you about 25 minutes or so. We're a little bit past that, so I'll, I'll get into wrap-up mode here. But I, I do want to uh, talk to you quickly about uh, what you've been doing since you retired. You're traveling all over the place, and, and you've become something of a social media darling on Instagram, which I thought that I would never see, but it seems to me like you're really <laughs> embracing this whole retirement thing. Well, I, you know, I told you earlier, Dan, I, I've not regretted the decision that I made. Um, uh, Vince Scully said to me one time, he said, you know, we're, we're in a business where it, we're in a unique business where we can work as long as we want to work, as long as we are physically able to do it, as long as we um, keep the people who write our checks happy and the fans love our work, we can work as long as we want to. He said, conversely, it's a curse because a lot of guys work longer than they should have. And so when I made the decision, and I know some guys today doing big league baseball that should have retired a number of years ago, I made a decision that I was going to retire one when I was healthy enough to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it two that I was still on top of my game and three that I could leave on under my own terms. And I did all three of those. Uh, I'm married to a wonderful woman who uh, will forevermore keep me young. And, and she does that by getting me off my butt to go do things. If I don't want to do them that she makes me do them. And, and, and so we travel a lot and, we went to spring training. I signed an appearances deal with a club and I went out there for almost three weeks and uh, I would go to games and I'd have fans recognize me and they'd come down to the stands and they'd say, boy, I bet you wish you were up there in that radio booth. And I said, no, on the contrary. And I said, 
let me tell you what I can do that I've never been able to do before. And I, they said, what's that? I said, get up and leave whenever I want to. <laughs> and I never, I never saw a sixth inning in spring training. We went to, I don't know, six or seven games. And I never saw once, once David Bell, uh, the manager took out uh, his regulars and, and the starting pitcher worked his two or three innings or whatever. And he left a man and I got up and we went home. And so, um, and I, and that was the first hurdle. If, if I had had any pangs of regret, it would have started in spring training. And it, I never had one. I, uh, I know I made the right decision. Uh, knock on wood, I'm the healthiest seven, almost 78 year old man. I know, uh, I walk five miles every day. I keep myself in shape. And, and so we're going and doing things that we've never done before. And all my travel has been baseball travel. People say, I, uh, you've been all over the country. I said, yeah, I've been to every major city that has a major league baseball team. And now we're going to places that we've never gone before, which is really fun for me because there are so many places in this great country of ours that I've never seen before. And now I'm in the process once this virus thing is over and done with where I'm going to resume what we started uh, uh, last year, as a matter of fact. Well, I know I, I, I speak for, oh, I'm sorry, Cobb, Dory, whoever it was, go ahead before That's we wrap okay. it up. I was just going to jump in because I know we are on a time crunch because I'm sure he has to go get his walk in and, or, or spend time with the beautiful family done. back there. You've already done your walk for the day. Okay, well, good. Let's go over. I know the music's playing. It's time for you to go. You've got busier things to do than uh, talk to us. But thanks again. I appreciate it. I want to say congratulations on your retirement. It's going to be about nine months, okay, a nine-month retirement. I'm thinking baseball has to come back. I know I missed whatever the MLB said yesterday that you think is a terrible idea. I'd like to hear what your proposal would be because this is, I've got my own little proposal because I know it's hard to start from the top and trickle down. You're talking about such an important issue as health. No one wants to get sick. No one wants to infect their loved ones. And, you know, it's, it's a tough topic. But I think if we all started to kind of go back to our roots, and I'm talking on the local level right now, obviously, because we are doing this, you know, Dan Scott, Cobb Oxford, Tom Van Hoy, and the list goes on, Timber, et cetera, et cetera. These guys are the best in the business, and they're getting back to what they love, their passion, and are not getting back to it. I don't know that many of them ever left it, because that that's really the key. And I think Sir Marty... Brenneman, that's what you brought to broadcasting. I mean, to have a 46-year career in the same place and for the Cincinnati Reds, to be the voice of the Reds for 46 years is amazing. And I know these guys on this call can, you know, can appreciate that. But I've done some research just because my little circle, I'm, you know, I'm very involved with some former base, baseball players, married to one. Um, and I have an ex-husband who played old school baseball players who knew exactly who you were. and They know your name. Um, it's because you can be objective and still be a fan. That's what you brought. I mean, I know that you did the play-by-play -play and you wanted everybody to feel like they were part of it. And I believe in that we. I do believe in the we. You are definitely part of it. You're part of the whole what makes it all go around. It makes everybody love sports. So you are an integral part of it. So I believe in the we. At the same time, I believe in being objective, and you were able to do that. I mean, there were times I did read your bio. You might be known for a little bit of contention here and there, and that's okay. <laughs> a little okay. bit. That's the passion. Bit. You know, it's coming through. And um, I just really, I, I'm glad that you don't have any regrets about retiring last September. 
Um, but yeah, I think that maybe, you know, you could at least maybe call in and talk to the grumpy old broadcasters, just like I do every once in a while. Keep us apprised. I want to hear what your proposal would be instead of bringing back the MLB sooner rather than later. What do you think we should do? I don't have one. I don't know. I, 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 I have felt probably for two weeks now that it would not surprise me a bit if not one pitch is thrown in 2020. That would not surprise me a bit. Um, and I'm not so sure that unless something miraculous occurs with uh, a, a cure for this coronavirus that we don't even know about. And all of a sudden, within a matter of a month and a half, the, the picture is much rosier than it is right now to the point where they could begin to play. Uh, and we certainly don't see that today as we chat on this podcast. Um, I just think it's going to be very, very hard to play. Uh, people, have, for one thing, people are not going to have the money to, to, to go see games if, if we get to the point where we can open the gates and sell tickets and let people come watch. Um, I, I, don't have a, I don't have a solution. And I know baseball is grasping at straws and trying to find out something that makes sense, but I don't think this plan makes any sense. Uh, I have been told that, you know, Jeff Passan broke the story. He's one of the most recognized and respected writers there is in the game of baseball. He broke the story. And I have people tell me that that story was purposely leaked to him out of the Major League Baseball office, knowing that he would write it, and then for the purpose of seeing what kind of reaction they would get from the fans uh, of the game of baseball. Uh, I don't think the, res the, the result overall is very, very good. And I know there are a lot of players that have been very vocal and expressing their misgivings about this plan as superficial as it is right now. Um, so we'll see what happens. I, I think, you know, the, the, in the big scheme of things, this is not a priority. Right. This is really not a priority right now. I um, it would be wonderful in a matter of weeks if it did become a priority, because that means what we're most concerned with now we will be less concerned with them. But again, right. you we know that. So we'll see what happens. I, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's very, very unfortunate. I find it humorous that people would compare this uh, with other work stoppages in baseball uh, and that people bring up, uh, try to compare it with 9-11. There's no comparison. This has to do with the lives of, of people aside from the horrific thing that occurred in New York when the two planes crashed into the buildings. Uh, this is something that kills people and is on a day-to-day -day basis with no cure, and people are frantically trying to figure out what we can do to lessen the impact of, of infection and lessen the impact of death. Um, there is no comparison when they talk about what we're dealing with right now as it applies to baseball and every other thing in our in our individual and collective walk of lives. I, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I wish I had some pearls of wisdom. I really don't. Well, what we well, do, I, I'm sorry, Dory, go, go ahead. ahead. Don, go ahead, Dan. Now, I was just going to say what we do know is that um, we, we have enjoyed the time that, that you've given us here today. And again, we held you over. Um, li listen, I, I pray this, this, end soon but whenever it ends that you stay healthy and that amanda keeps dragging you places and and, and, well, she will. and, and keeping you and keeping you young uh and uh that, that you're able to uh, enjoy this retirement um we had a, a lady and i'll close with this we had a lady at Furman last year 
who was so looking forward to her retirement and she because she wanted to spend time with her husband she retired and within two weeks her husband died of a heart attack yeah. so, so we just don't know so what i'm saying yeah. is I, i'm i'm praying that that uh, you stay healthy that she keeps dragging you around and and you have the time of your life here now that uh you've given us the time of our lives and the soundtrack of our lives uh, I, I hope you guys continue to to um, really have a great time moving forward. Call me anytime, Dan. Enjoyed being with you all. Talking okay. with you. Marty, I thank you. Ask you. Thank you. Right. Can you sign off with the, uh, can you sign off or is that a trademark? Can Donald's you hear it? I'm done oh. with that. Uh. That belongs to the Reds. <laughs> there you go. Marty, thanks. Well, the Hall of Famer is gone, and that just leaves the three of us. Uh, I know, Dory, this was your first opportunity to talk with Marty. Cobb's been on a couple of radio interviews with me, with Marty, over the years. Um, it just doesn't get any better. And then the thing you, you love about him now that you loved about him then, Cobb, he says whatever's on his mind. Exactly. Yeah. Just like Jason Whitlock we talked to the other night, just no, no pulling punches. And, uh, I mean, when you – you ask him what he thought of the commissioner of baseball, and <laughs> he's later. I don't, you know, really don't care for the guy. Yeah, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, very interesting. What a career, and uh, what some of the stuff he's seen, and the players he's dealt with. I mean, I could have listened to him for hours. Didn't want to get into the Rose thing, but I mean, I saw Pete Rose play a lot as a kid, and. Pete Rose should be in the Hall of Fame. I've always believed that. Always believed that. And um, let's I, talk about that real quickly, Cobb, because Marty said that he thought the fan base was against it, but I've never spoken to a true baseball person who doesn't think well, he should Dan, be in the Hall of Fame. No, no. Uh, he, 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 he said Marty said that that Pete Rose is not in the Hall of Fame despite the overwhelming sentiment of the gotcha. fan base. He thought that that the fans do. Uh, yeah. believe that Pete belongs in the Hall of Fame. Baseball fans know that Pete Rose belongs there, especially the ones that saw him play the game. I mean, right. honestly, there's nobody that was – I mean, he wasn't He wasn't athletic. You know, he really wasn't. He was – but he, he had a grit and a determination and a desire to play the game like it's supposed to be played. Right. Um, I mean, there's guys now that are way more athletic than Rose was, but and even, I mean, Dan may not agree with me. I didn't, I didn't think he was a great athlete. Did you? No, no, he wasn't he a great athlete. First, he played second. He played third. He played in the outfield, and he and he hit the baseball. I mean, didn't hit with a lot of power, but I mean, he, you know. And and when was the last time we've seen a major leaguer draw a walk and run to first? Never, never. Rose did it all the time. Well, the, maybe that's what we need, Cobb. We need that's that's the problem. That's what how we have arrived over here. We need to go back to old school, sliding Petey into first base. Now I'm not, not maybe not that old school, but yeah, Pete Rose. I mean, he represents. That's the problem too, though. He represents a little bit of the uh, underbelly of. Sports. I mean, maybe he was overly passionate. Maybe he did things that he should not have done in betting on his own team to win. If that's in fact all he did wrong, I'm not sure. But regardless of what he did wrong, 
He had the most hits in baseball without PEDs. He needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, you know, and, and Cobb knows this. I, I've, I, I have struggled with this over the years because for a long time, I, I towed the Pete Rose line that he said he never bet on baseball, so he didn't bet on baseball. And why would somebody continue to, to, you know, deny that for what was it, twenty five years or or whatever the, the the case was, but. It, where I finally have come down on this, and, and this was a number of years ago, is that I think that that you have to separate Pete Rose the player from Pete Rose the manager, and and, and there's no evidence that Pete Rose the player bet on baseball. And even though the evidence uh, on Pete Rose the manager is that he only bet on his team to win, you can make the argument that, well, if he didn't bet on his team that particular night, he didn't think they were going to win. And, and, and so, so I get that part of the argument. So I think you have to separate the two. And, and then I think it was Marty who a number of years ago said that you could, you could really end this with, with one thing. You could have his Hall of Fame plaque if he got elected. And the very last line of that plaque, all I would have to say was, was banned from baseball for life in 1989 for betting on the game. And, and, and that, Actually, that would take care – of the of the thing now the the flip side of it is or the other aspect of this is Pete's his own worst enemy. He has right. had he has had um, getting uh, allowed back into baseball in the palm of his hand, and he blew it. He blew it a number of years ago when he wrote the book that where he finally admitted that he bet on baseball, uh, and and was autographing and selling copies of it in Cooperstown on Hall of Fame weekend. So uh, that, among other things, he has been his own worst enemy where this is concerned. Having said that, I still think he belongs in the Hall of Fame. It's a tough call. You know, Dan, I wonder how badly Pete wants to be in the Hall of Fame because perhaps there was a handshake deal back in 89. Okay, we're going to just overlook this, but you can never, ever be in the Hall of Fame because of what you potentially represent. Bart Giamatti was the commissioner that led that investigation in which he was ultimately banned. And the agreement that they signed said that while there was overwhelming evidence that he did, that Rose did not have to admit that he bet on baseball, he agreed to the lifetime ban, but, and this is something that's not talked about very often now, there was uh, a, a clause in the agreement that said he could apply for reinstatement after one year. And I, I truly believe that had Bart Giamatti lived, that Pete Rose's act might have been different and he may have gotten back into the game. But Bart Giamatti died nine days after the press conference when they announced Rose's banned from baseball. He died wow. of a heart attack. And so I, I, you know, I just can't help but wonder had Bart Giamatti lived if this whole outcome would have been different. I don't know. I don't have any way of knowing, but that's right. one of the great well, what I ifs. If Marty, right, right. I just wonder if Marty has ever spoken to Pete Rose personally about it and wondered if Pete even, you know, really, maybe Pete needed to reapply for his induction a year later, but then there was, you know, it was a null and void 
contract or whatever it was or agreement. It's just interesting to see that politics, there's a, there are a lot of parallels. You threw a lot at me, Dan Scott, with your podcast the last two days, starting with Jason Whitlock on Tuesday. I loved listening to you guys talk to him. And uh, I don't know, it's a lot to to talk about, even without sports actually happening. He did most of the talking, but he was great. He yeah. really yeah. was. Yeah, I think that's one of the a lot one, to digest. Yeah. One of one of the, the the best lessons you can learn as an interviewer is ask the question and get out of the way. Right. And and, and right. let and especially when you have somebody like a Marty Brenneman or a Jason Whitlock or, or somebody like that. Um just, just let them go. I mean, people want to hear more what they have to say than what we have to say anyway. Um and, and one of the things I try to caution um young reporters, young broadcasters, uh, and, and even, um, you know, our, our sideline reporter at Furman, Marcus McMorris, who has never done it before. And, and, you know, now has been with us for three years. You know, I, I try to help him along and, and, and Marcus had a, um, a habit of asking the coach a question and then answering the question before you let the coach talk. And, and, and I, and I think that's, that's a, that's a, uh, a problem that a lot of, Young reporters have. It's a problem that a lot of old reporters have. You know, ask the question, step back and shut up and let the person do the talking. Right. Well, you heard Marty say that he doesn't plan. He does not plan. He That would be too contrived. He wasn't prepared for Hank Aaron, I don't think, to hit that home run because I think that those that were trying to make more of a, a more of a ceremonious event thought it would be later. Am I right? Is that what I heard? I mean, I love that that the well, I mean, I think Jim, Jim Nance is famous. For Jim, oh, that's exactly where I was going to go. I was say Marty said he wouldn't name names, but I will. Yeah, Jim Nance is the king of scripting endings. Hmm. So, Jim, I'm sorry. Everyone has their niche or niche, yeah. however that's pronounced. Yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, I'm not trying to discredit Jim Nance by all means. Then you have people like Vern Lundquist who – I don't think Vern's ever cooked, and it probably has two of the most famous calls in the history of the Masters on CBS with the Nicholas putt on 17 and the Tiger Woods chip on 16 that got to the edge of the hole and then dropped in. And, um, you know, just just like the rest of us were thinking when the ball went in, when Woods hit that chip was – in your life, have you seen anything like that? Well, and and right. I, I go, I, I go, I go back to why I love Gus Johnson so much, and, and how the, oh, how the NCAA, the NCAA basketball tournament just simply is not the same without Gus Johnson calling action on those first two weekends. It just is I not the same. If Gus Johnson is announcing, I will watch it. Because the, the thing I love about Gus, you know, we have in, in broadcasting today, and it's been this way for a while, we have a a, a lot of broadcasters who I, I call their cookie cutters. You just stamp them out. You know, they come out of college. They all sound the same. They all, you know, approach everything the same. And, and, you know, a professional approach is needed, obviously. The thing I love about Gus, if the situation calls for Gus to lose his mind, Gus loses his mind. Right, and, right. And, but he, he does it in a way that is, is not over the top, and it's engaging to the listener, and it doesn't overshadow the action that just took place on the court or on the field. It magnifies 
that action. And, and I'm, the, the NCAA basketball tournament, as great as it is, will never be as great without Gus Johnson calling it. And since he moved to Fox, obviously, we've lost that. And I miss him. I still occasionally go looking on the internet for that uh, soundboard calls uh, called Gus gets buckets. Yeah. Yeah, And, and, and just listening to some of the things that he, he did during the tournament. Um, Well, we were talking about Munson earlier. I mean, if people who's listening on the broadcast, Georgia fans. Right. And, and he was like listening to the guy sitting next to you on the 30 yard line complaining about what was going on on the field you know they're they're after us and they're out to get us and we we we're not getting it done and come on guys hunker down yeah. and you know, i mean he was the fans loved him they're, they're, so, you know, they're, they're they're bigger than us they're they're stronger than us and and, and, oh, yeah. so, and somehow yeah. we're within a touchdown you know <laughs> All the Clemson players this morning, and all I could think of was steroids, steroids, steroids. You know, I mean, God, they're yeah. huge. You know, I mean, you know, and then when Kevin Butler, he didn't kick it 60, he's going to line up and try and kick it 100,000 miles. You know, I mean, I love it. <laughs> it was just, yeah, it was great. I mean, that's, yeah. Off the wall. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and to Marty's point too, I think maybe Munson held on two or three years too long, maybe. But what are you gonna do? You know that that was his life. And uh, Com, exactly. were, were you were you in studio with me the the day that we actually interviewed him? It was right after he retired and his book was yes. released. Yes, I was. And in fact, when I worked for the Independent, part of the pregame was to talk to a beat report woman. I went to Athens for the press conference and I went to Athens for the game. I wasn't there every day. And I'm like, why am I doing this, Claude? And he says, just do it, you know? So I go in the radio booth before the game. They're playing Temple. I mean, it's like the game the game the week before the Florida game. So obviously the, the annual take was, well, Larry, I hope they're not overlooking Temple because they got Florida next week. You know, but – but he opened it up with me. He's like, you know, these guys in the desert are saying that this game is like 30 points. And I mean, he was, he went off on some tangent and just totally lost me. And I, uh, but you know, he was, he, he was always worried about something. I mean, he, he, uh, but, but then you had what? Kaywood Ledford, Kentucky. Um, who was the guy at Tennessee? Um, John Ward. Um, you know, I was, I was going to, I would, State had a guy that was there for you. Yeah, I was going to interject with with Marty when we were talking about the the you know using the word we or not, and especially in college athletics. Um, Jack Fleming at West Virginia uh, yeah, for for years and years, and, and and he's also the guy uh, he did the Pittsburgh Steelers at at the same time for a number of years, and then you've seen the NFL films. Uh, uh, of the immaculate reception that's jack fleming's voice oh it's caught out of the air he's going for a touch that that's jack fleming i'll never forget i'm running the board for a west virginia university basketball game this was uh you know winter of 1986 and uh, uh he he's doing his pregame thing and the officials come out on the court for the first time and i don't know if he hadn't looked on the sheet prior to see who the officials are going to be but he saw the officials come out, and, and he named one of them, and I, I don't know who it was, 
but he said something to the fact oh, that yes. he, he said it, oh, yes. it might have been, but he, he he said, "Oh my God!" He said that guy's here. We don't have a chance. You know, it, it was it, he was that kind of he was West Virginia's Larry Munson. It's now Jamie Lucky. Yeah, know, or something oh, yeah. like that. Oh my goodness! Dan will text me, uh, Dory. Uh, Carl Hess is now working in the Southern Conference. I mean, <laughs> he'll never work in the ACC again, but he's working in the Southern Down Cup. You'll never believe he's officiating tonight. <laughs> You're in for. <laughs> well, listen, I didn't realize you had it. Marty Brenneman had already been on. And by the way, Cobb, where did you go now? Where, it looks like you have a. You're in. Where are you? Did we, did we miss that? That's no longer Augusta National. You're at the Biltmore. Okay. I'll enjoy traveling with you virtually then. Yeah, and I, um, I didn't so get. So yeah, just uh, Marty Brenneman. That's amazing that he was on here. But you guys are just, you guys are the same. I mean, you guys are experts. Really, truly, he was fortunate. And I don't think it was a gratuitous fortune. He deserved to be the voice of the Reds for 46 years. That's amazing. That is just uh, what a career. I respect well, that. Well, he reminded me of Jim Phillips a little many, bit. How many people these days? I've done a job for 46, 47 years. Well, and, and to take it even further, when Vin, Vin Scully retired after what, the 2016 yeah, season? Yeah, he, he started in Brooklyn. He, he, had, he had been there for 66, 67 years with the Dodgers. And, and I remember uh, putting something on Facebook or Twitter um, when, when he retired from, from like the 1880s until that 2017 season or whenever it was, baseball had never been without either Connie Mack or Vin Scully because they overlapped for two or three years in the 1950s. Yeah. So you, you, you think about that. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're fortunate. You know, I'm 53 years old. Marty did that for 46 years. I listened to him for 45. I started in 1975 as an eight-year-old. Um, and as I said, he's the one who, you know, listening to him all those years, made me want to do what I'm doing now. I wish I was as good. I wish I was as good as him. But uh, that's that's another story altogether. Final thoughts, you guys. We're coming up on the hour mark. Um, let's see. I just want to say thanks again for letting me be a little small part of y'all's conversation here. And I am wearing red today, and that was of course for Marty and. This thing in the background here, I'm just going to get a little shout out. I've been, I'm in the bonus room of my home here in Greensboro, North Carolina, still sheltering in place, getting a little stir crazy, can only, you know, drink so much coffee and walk around and lose my glasses and lose my phone so many times in a day. Are you What's able that? Home? Work? Yeah. From home. I mean, um, I am, I don't know how much work I actually do, Cobb. So am I able to work from home? Oh, you oh, you're now in front of Death Valley. That makes my heart smile. I'm looking at Cobb in front of Death Valley or in a box at the yeah, stadium. Great. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that in real life, in real time. But can we, by the way, that does bring up a final thought or sort of pushing towards the final thought. Jason Whitlock, and I know we'll talk about it some more, or you guys can talk about it some more, but I listened to that interview, our podcast yesterday, actually – more than once because the first time it's hard to kind of get a whole hour to just focus and listen, but I was able to do it with my husband and almost the whole entire podcast. We listened to it together. 
Um, you know, he's basically saying, I want to talk about that. Is he of the mindset that we may not have a football season? What is he, I think he's hopeful and optimistic, but I think when he started to sort of describe tailgating and bar, packed bars that, you know, the things that I love about football, some of the things I love about football, it start, started to feel a little bit cynical or sound a little bit cynical. No, so I, I, I we, didn't. I didn't take I it that way that. at all. I, I didn't take it that way at all. I, I, I think that he he was expressing he was hopeful that we were going to get back to that soon and we would have that for football. I think the point he was trying to make is what I said earlier, um, that if we don't get college football back, it is going to have a devastating effect on the rest of college athletics because – College football pays for most of the other sports. Now, at some schools, many schools, college basketball obviously stands on its own. But when you start talking about spring sports, the Olympic sports, e- even most of college baseball, it's paid for by the revenue generated by college football from not just ticket sales and, and everything in, inside the stadiums, but the massive television revenue. If we don't get that back, I mean, athletic directors are already talking about the possible doomsday scenario. They know how important it is to get football back, but at the same time, we can't do it if it's not safe and not healthy. So that's why, you know, I'm praying that this thing comes to an end soon, not because of sports. I, I want it to come to an end soon so people quit getting sick and people quit dying, but I want to get back to my quote-unquote normal, hopefully with a little better perspective than I had before this started. But, I, you know, I miss calling games. I should be doing baseball now. When Marty and I were talking yesterday setting this up, he asked me how I was doing. I said, I'm doing great, but I miss baseball. And he said, well, I can promise you I don't miss baseball. Of course, you know, he'd done 7,000 games or whatever the total was over 46 years. But I miss it. And uh, well, I, I, miss I, I, miss, I miss working with my guys. I, I miss the banner in the press box. We, we were on a, uh, a conference call yesterday with our external team at Furman and Stephanie Cushing, who is our game day ops person. Hunter Reed and I were going back and forth with each other before the meeting started about the Reds and the Braves like he always do. And she said, man, she said, I miss that in the press box at Latham Stadium. And I think that's what we all miss. We miss the the interpersonal interaction and we want to get back to it i just hope we get back to it with a much better perspective perhaps than we had before all this started right good point i mean i I agree with you i think the perspective already has been broadened almost about as much as it can be broadened of course what you said before about let's start with a new perspective perhaps it's just giving more appreciation to everything that is what we are about, you know, as a, as a humanity. I mean, it's not well, just sports. sports is a huge part, a huge element. Yeah, and, but, Dory, you know this. Cobb, you know this. It, it's the things that in the, uh, the, the daily lives of our, our, our job, we complain about so many things. You know, oh, man, this game has taken forever. Or I can't yeah. believe that, you know, this is what they served us for the pregame meal or – or no, you know, we we, no, we get, you know we got to listen to this guy again you know that all those little things that are so inconsequential that's what I'm talking about by perspective you know and mm-hmm. enjoying the moment appreciating the moment appreciating 
the fact that, that we have these freedoms that allow us to do this. And, and you know, I'm, I'm working on a, uh, a Sunday school lesson that I'm teaching on, on, on this Sunday to our class via Zoom. And, you know, if anything good is coming out of this, I, I saw where three the, the three largest evangelical associations, one of them being the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, said that on their websites the traffic of people who are coming on there and inquiring about Jesus and inquiring about Christianity is up exponentially. So it's causing people to focus on different things, which we do in times of emergency. Marty referenced 9-11. How much did this country come together in 9-11? You had... Uh, Republicans and Democrats together standing on the Capitol steps singing Amazing Grace. Yeah, when but some I don't of, have the same, when I don't some, have the same feeling about this that I had. No, but, I, what, but what I'm saying is we're, we're seeing things and hearing stories about perspectives changing in the midst of it. My prayer is that the, pers- the change of perspective continues after we're through this. Yeah, well, for a little while. But that brings up the old line, there are no atheists in foxholes. You know, you're getting shot at. You're, <laughs> it's your come to Jesus moment. Yeah, Dory, you're, you're, you're getting a really good example of why Cobb's wife calls him Eeyore. Eeyore. Yeah. <laughs> my, my ears yeah. ring Everything low. happens to me. Oh, yeah. I, I love you or two, though, and I love you, Carl. The thing about this whole situation is that any type of positive news that comes out immediately gets pounded like whack a mole. Right. You know, I mean, Dabo expresses, "Hey, I'm going. I want to. I think we're going to play." Boom, boom, boom. You know, what do you say? It's unbelievable. Now, Gundy, maybe, yeah, he might, because nobody knows where this thing's going, but. I mean, he pretty, he pretty much expressed what Dabo expressed on steroids and that I'm ready to get my team back to campus. I'm ready to get going. And uh, But I think pretty much everybody agrees now that unless there are students on campus, there, you know, if there are no students on campus, there won't be football. So, and, and I, I was talking to an athletic administrator this morning. I said, my, one of my fears is, that you know everything's been moved online now there were already online schools before this started but now everybody's gone online and the ease of that and what kind of dent is this going to put in the total overall college experience um dorms and social clubs and uh you know, walking back and forth to class. I mean, I, I, I can tell you, I can tell you the, answer. the overall result of this when it's all over. I can tell you yeah. the answer to that right now. It, it'll have almost zero effect in it because the, the schools need those dorms filled. They need, well, uh, I know they, do. They, they need people on campus to pay the bills. They need that but tuition. Gonna, but are students going to respond? Yeah. You know, they've found they can hang out in their basement and do their work. Well, not if those, not if those classes aren't made available online. The, the schools have control of that. If, yeah. if they don't make the classes available online, they can't hang out in their parents' basement and take the class. So, so who makes the call to take the classes offline? You know, I mean, that's going to be interesting. The people who are, are counting the money. 
that, that that'll that'll be the ones that'll do it. So, all come right, back, come back to campus, risk dying, but we need you in the dorm. Right, kick off at just two. Come back to campus. Let's ju- yes, it's. I've got faith it'll be okay. It's going to be okay, no matter what. And Dan Scott, an increase in the environmental services, the environmental services uh, curriculum. There'll be, there'll be more people majoring in environmental services. Yeah, that's possible. All right, gang. Sorry, Tom Van Hoy missed this. Uh, yeah, I am. Te- technologically, he just couldn't. He couldn't handle it again. He, he, he. I'm imagining him. Yes, with his flip phone right now. Uh, he'll probably call in in about ten minutes. Yeah, when we're all done. I, I just want to remind folks as we get set to uh, wrap it up that uh, we we are. Uh, presented again by our good friends at Todaro Pizza. They are at uh, 116 North Markley Street in Greenville and also on uh, Sloan Street in downtown Clemson. The Greenville location here in the upstate of South Carolina specifically is still doing business uh, on carryout and delivery. Todaropizza.com is the website, and you can find out more there. But our thanks to John Todaro and the folks there for doing uh doing us a big favor and sponsoring this podcast. Dory Kid, thank you so much for brightening thank our day. Cobb. Well, I've enjoyed it, as always. Yeah. My pleasure. Yeah, Cobb, maybe not so much, but good to see you anyway. <laughs> I'm Dan Scott. This has been Episode 6 of Grumpy Old Broadcasters. Until next time, God bless you, and so long, everybody.